Hey, welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast. I'm Brennan Dunn. And I'm Eric Davis. And this is episode number six. And today we'll be talking about building and filling a lead or a sales pipeline. So Eric, how are things going over there in Oregon? Pretty good. I mean, we're getting into the winter season, so there's a lot more rain, a lot less sunshine and daylight savings time and all that kind of kind of messed up my morning runs, but I think it's, you know, it's pretty good. I love the winter myself. I like being cooped up and being able to look out the windows and just see rain or snow all the time. Yeah, I like, uh, I've got a giant six-foot window in my home office, and um, right now it's getting dark, and most of the the uh, trees have shed their leaves, so yeah, it's, change of seasons is nice. So, do you want to jump into it and uh, talk about this week's topic? Yeah, so, I mean, you want to kind of define... What you what you think of a pipeline is because I I've seen different definitions and I think I have a little bit of different ones than other people do. Yeah, sure. So my my concept of a, a sales pipeline really comes from a really having run a consultancy when I was freelancing. Most of my work was kind of incidental. You know, I would uh, get the random referral or and and it, actually honestly I got very lucky. I just kept getting referrals at the right time. And these referrals happen to close all at the right time. So I kept myself fairly busy. But as I built up my consultancy and ultimately reached 10 people, having, having enough money coming in the, in the door each month was critical to paying my bills. So I had to kind of formulate and put together with my business development lead a, uh, a pipeline of you know, inbound new projects that would uh, really pay the bills. So... At the beginning of the pipeline or the funnel is uh, meeting people or, or, or getting a lead. You know, a lead being somebody who could do work. Um, they might or might not have expressed an interest to do work with you, but it's somebody who um, could definitely become a future uh, client of your companies. And the pipeline is really just moving that person or that company through a, a series of uh, steps that ultimately the end goal is getting them to be a paying customer of yours. So from a, from a high lunar perspective, you know, at the left end of the funnel, you have the acquisition or getting them in, you know, in your system as a lead. Uh, and then it moves on to qualification, which is um, kind of screening out the duds from the, uh, the people who could actually make it through your funnel. So, that usually involves, can they afford me? Um, is this going to be a relatively painless process of getting them through the door or getting them to sign a contract? And, and also that includes, um, is this, a, you know, is this, could, could doing work for this client actually grow my business or hurt my business? And, and that, might, that might actually sound strange, but um, one of the things I realized is you need to make sure that your new customers all kind of point your business in the right direction or, or keep it focused. So that's the qualification step. From there, it, uh, it really becomes more of a uh, follow-up queue or getting, you know, getting meetings lined up where you can do some scoping and figure out exactly what, what do they want to build, you know, working with them to determine a, you know, a measure of scope and a budget and a, time, and a timeline and see if that actually is both realistic and will work for your uh, your workload. And from there, just continuing to cultivate the lead and hopefully getting them penciled in for a future date to uh, to be a, you know, a client of yours. 
So that, that's kind of my version of a pipeline. That's what I ended up using at the consultancy. And that made it so we could bring in 100000 a month um, in order to uh, keep the lights on. Okay. And that's a bit different than mine. I'm looking at mine. My pipeline, the overall thing's the same, but I actually start mine earlier. And I think I, yeah, it looks like I actually end it later. So you said you kind of started tracking like when someone... I, I call it like, you know, expressing an interest in working with you. Like, you know, this might be a potential client. I kind of track mine a bit before that. So like we said in the last episode, I do a lot of content marketing, stuff like that. And so I track, you know, people who come to my site, people who maybe subscribe to my newsletter. I kind of keep track of them. It's kind of vague and more numbers-based, but I see that as where my pipeline starts. And so I try to like nurture that relationship and then, from there, then it leads into like this person actually expressed an interest and I have someone's email address or phone and, you know, maybe they contacted me about it. And so I kind of go a little bit, a little bit farther to the left and try to pick up earlier in the relationship. And then I kind of consider my pipeline also the project delivery because a big, a big part of my business, I do like repeat projects with the same client. And so how I deliver on a project kind of sets me up for the next project with that client. And so I actually rolled it into the same pipeline. And so it's kind of a, you know, a circular loop. Once I, once I get a project bid, I do it and deliver it. And then hopefully that gets fed right back into, okay, there's a new project to bid on and then deliver and then a new one. And so right. I think it's kind of a, like a semantic thing, but that's why I said like, whenever I think of my pipeline, I think of that whole you know, the whole track. And I, I know a lot of people think of just the, you know, the lead nurturing, the lead qualification, follow-up part of it. I think, honestly, that's a very valid point. I mean, like we talked about before, the educational component, right, where you have a newsletter subscriber or a somebody who is faithful to your blog, and you build up a relationship, even though it might be really a silent relationship where you're feeding them content, but it's not a circular conversation. It's more of just a... It's more know, broadcast. Right, Exactly. So, yeah, I think, I think in the purposes of when I, when I was structuring my pipeline, it was more in the sense of, you know, when, I, when my business development guy reported to me, letting me know what was on the horizon, you know, what was of most interest to me were, were people probably, like you said, a little further along. But I think it, it really just depends on, like you said, how, how big or how, how large this pipeline is, how, how where do you start? with somebody as being a, uh, an item in your, you know, in your pipeline. And for me and my company, that was a bit, that was when I realized that this person, either they were referred to us or we met them at an event or they contacted our info at, uh, you know, email address. That's what we considered somebody entering the pipeline, but I could definitely see how you would probably realistically want to go even further back than that. Yeah, and a lot of it is tied to, like I said, I do the content marketing stuff a lot, and I try to feedback, like, okay, am I, is the stuff I'm creating, like, are the posts I'm putting in my blog actually producing business results? And so I felt I needed to kind of go back farther to kind of associate, you know, the marketing action to actually a project. And so that's that's why I extended mine. I started with a very simple one, and then just found that that feedback loop was missing, and so I, I added kind of the beginning part and then the end part, and... I feel like that's kind of gotten me to where I need to be, and I feel like I can, you know, look at anyone and basically figure out, okay, they're in this stage, 
this is the, how the relationship is. This is what we need to do to move it forward. You know, that sort of idea. Right. So let me ask you this. Have you, when you have this pipeline established, do you, um, do you use any particular software to kind of track this or is this more in your head and, you know, volume's low enough that you can kind of know, okay, these are the leads I'm talking to this month and um, this is the, a snapshot of my relationship with them. Yeah, that's a good question because I've used some software. Um, I think I started with HiRise from 37 Signals years ago. Um, and this was before they had a lot of the, the features they have now. I left that and tried to use Fat-Free CRM, which is an open source CRM package built in Ruby on Rails. And that both of those kind of just work like a glorified address book for me. They didn't really have the tracking stuff that I needed. And so I guess recently, past few months, I've actually switched to Pipeline Deals. It's a software as a service app that basically does all this. I mean, you can track contacts, you can track deals. And so like whenever someone gets into like my middle stage, which is where I'm actively talking to someone about a project, they have a, um, I put their data in Pipeline Deals. So they have, you know, either a company, a user, or if it's something specific, an actual deal, which corresponds to like a project or a potential project, and so I use that, and it kind of it's nice because I get a little dashboard, and I get all I get just enough of like the reporting and alerts, so I can you know make sure I'm following up with people without actually you know spending forty hours a week maintaining the system. Right. Yeah. I think um, I think we used or we use PipeDrive. I'm not as involved in it anymore, but I, I believe uh, Zach, who runs business development uses a software as a service app called PipeDrive, which um, he seems to like. And I think it's very, it's almost like Kanban word style where you, you drag a contact over to a certain column and now they're in the, uh, you know, in the, in the warm column and move them to the hot column and so on. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, like you, I, I, I started with Hi-Rise and, you know, I tried, um, I tried keeping conversations under the relevant, uh, contacts by BCCing emails to Hi-Rise and tried using their deal tracking, but you know things would stagnate, and we just we ended up needing to kind of roll our own way of doing this. Which you know, frankly, and almost ashamedly, a lot of that was just kind of we had a whiteboard, and it, a lot of it was in our head. But you know, it, it worked for us. Oh yeah, I mean, I know two of the past companies I worked at. Um, one is a developer, and then one. Like, you know, in high school, I remember they had big old whiteboard that had, I mean, it looked like Excel, you know, you had the, your columns and rows and salespeople were on there and they had monthly numbers and monthly quotas and that's how they tracked their sales. And I mean, this was working for a 40, 50 person company. I think there was maybe 10 salespeople, you know, pretty high volume stuff. And that's all they used. They didn't use a CRM or anything like that. So I mean, you gotta you gotta figure out what you need from your tools. Like I've used just a spreadsheet for a couple of years when I got started, and then I kind of found like I need a little bit more, and I don't want to spend all this time entering the data and you know building something custom. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think ultimately, I think software doesn't really matter in this case. It's it's more about having a really a systematic process that I like to think of being you know as being something that. Once it's in place, theoretically, I could delegate this to somebody who might be a little more type A personality or a better, you know, frankly, a better salesman than I am. Because really, I think what's important about a pipeline is the structure that 
kind of composes it and ensuring that you have a very consistent and very almost formulaic way of uh, moving moving potential clients and current clients uh, through that pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Like, it doesn't matter what tools you're using. It's the process that's the important thing. And I've, like I said, it's I've adapted my process, but my process has pretty much remained consistent. And then I've had to upgrade my tools as they weren't supporting the process that I needed and found worked the best for me. Right. So I think we talked a little bit about networking and, and that's one of the most, I guess, active ways of getting getting somebody in a pipeline. But we talked about content marketing too, which the goal of that is to do some preliminary education and get people to uh, either reach out to you or you follow up with them directly. And um, and there's referrals. You know, if, if you do good work with a client A, they might refer you to, and this is kind of a something that I think is pretty obvious to most people, but business people or business owners tend to uh, befriend and associate with other business owners. And if if you're reliable and you produce good work, uh, you can expect that the business owners that you end up working for will probably tell others about you. So that's that's by far my favorite. And I, I think I speak for a lot of people. That's my favorite way of getting somebody in the pipeline because the sales really isn't as important anymore. You already kind of have a really strong referral from somebody they trust. And um, then it's really just a matter of, you know, can they afford you? Are they a right fit for the way you want your company to grow? And um, does do the timelines uh, overlap? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I my current project I got because a developer I worked with on a past project referred the my client to me, but he was someone was referred to him. And so, I mean, literally this project has gone through, I think, three different stages of referral before I actually got to them and we figured out that I could help them. And, I mean, I I refer two, maybe sometimes five projects off a week of just either I don't have the time, I don't have the capability, or I'm just not interested in working on it. And so I refer that out to other people and because it's people I know and trust that they can deliver and they can do this project for the person who's contacting me they kind of get a little bit ahead of the game of just kind of a general cattle call of, I have this project, I need a developer. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the qualification step of the pipeline. If somebody reaches out to you and <clears throat> wants to potentially hire you, how do you, how do you respond to that? Um, so I, I actually have all my processes open in front of me. I'm trying to figure it out because they're in a halfway stage right now. So if someone contacts me and they have like, okay, we have a project or we want to work with you, they go into basically the lead conversion step for me. And that's where the kind of goal of it is to either convert this lead into a customer or to say we're not going to be a good fit and either refer them off or just completely decline working with them. And so basically, like you said, like filtering is the big part of this. And this is where you want to kind of figure out First off, can you help them? And that implies both skills and also do they have the budget, the timeline, and do the budgets and timeline match up with what you need? And then it's also kind of you feel out like, are they going to be a good client? And this kind of gets into like, are they going to pay you? Are they an established business with revenue that is more than sufficient to cover your fee? Or are they, you know, someone trying to do a new startup and this is their savings from the past five years? I actually 
I I think I got some of my questions from you. Um, I have to, I don't remember where I found all these, but I basically have six questions I asked, and I try to do it over email just to give people time to respond. But I have asked some of these over the phone, and the whole point of this is to try to filter out people that I know aren't going to be a good fit, or if I know like there's someone else that's going to be better fit. And so, I mean, I, I guess I could go through them if you want. I think you have some too. Yeah, why don't you start? Okay, so I mean, I'm not going to read it all, but basically, one question is, I wanted, I asked them a little bit about why they're trying to start the project. Are, is there like actual business goals they have in mind, or is this just like an idea that they have and they're just shopping around to figure out how much it costs to build? And so that's kind of digging into like why should this project even exist. Second question is about budget. I asked if they've set aside a budget because that's a good indicator of how far they are, are along in the planning. If they don't have a budget, they might be very, you know, at the very early stage and might need help setting a budget or they might not even have an, a ballpark figure of what they can spend. And then at that point, you can also ask, is it over a certain dollar amount if you have a, like a minimum fee for a project? I asked, when are they going to, when do they want to get started on the project? And that's to find out if there's any hard deadlines and if those would work with my availability. And then the fourth one is I ask if they're the owner of the project and that kind of hints at are they the business owner? Are they the project manager? Basically, are they the decision maker in the project? If they're not, I've found at least half the time, if not nine, 90% of the time, if they're not the decision maker, this this lead is going to end up bad. Like they're, they're not going to be able to respond fast enough and make decisions to move it forward, you know, if they always have to ask someone else. And so I always ask them if they're the owner, and if they're not, I try to see if the owner is going to get involved. Because you really want the business, not the business owner, but you want the owner of the project to be active in the project in order to keep it successful. Uh, my fifth question is, is this a new type of project for your company, or have you done it before? That fills out, have they done software development? Have they done custom software development? Have they done something similar to this project before, like conceptually, or they like enter in a new market? And this will fill out any kind of experience that they have. And then my sixth question is, I asked them how they heard about me. And so that's kind of a tie into what referral source did they come from? Is this, you know, a friend of a friend told me to call you, or I saw you on Twitter, or I saw your blog post? And the the sixth question is really more for my tracking to figure out, okay, this lead came from this area. And so that's kind of the six questions I do. And that's my first step of filtering. I, I have a second one I can get into, but I'm curious what questions you actually use now. I've had my fair share of people calling me up with a $500 budget wanting a, a YouTube clone. And, um, and a lot of them, you can just kind of tell off the bat. I mean, there's always a... Clients always kind of treat us, you know, freelancers or consultants as having some sort of risk profile, right? So, you know, if if they hire Eric, there's a percentage, in their mind at least, that the project uh, will not be successful. And and on our end of the equation, I think, we're, we tend to be very, I don't want to say overly optimistic, but we, we tend to, at least when I was just starting out, I, I really did not like the idea of qualifying. I, I was kind of under the impression that in sales, you want to talk to as many people as you can and get as much, get them through that relationship as, as far as possible. And then you finally spring things like budget and everything else. But 
when you when you realize that time is a limited factor and and the time you're spent qualifying or talking with a potential lead is time you could be doing actual billable work you you tend to start shifting right and what i've actually found and this surprised me at first but now it makes sense what i found is when you when you actually have this kind of structured formula and you know frankly what you just listed are my uh, exact criteria i mean that's I ask, have they done this before? You know, have have they set aside a budget, and what is it, or is it above this? Most people aren't going to tell you their budget, but they will tell you, um, is it above a certain amount? And I want to know when are they planning on on working on this? And I even actually sometimes ask, are they uh, talking to any other firms? And why I do this is really two part. The first part is it it emphasizes that I, there's a degree of professionalism and productness, I guess, in the kind of work that my company does. So we're not just a staffing firm. We kind of have this, this product, right, which this is kind of the, the checklist that lets us know and lets the, the lead know, is our client right for, or is our product right for them? So that's kind of the, the overlying uh, subtle goal of the qualifying process, but the more immediate is just to weed out the people who, because um, we, we've gotten, I mean, we had one of our clients mentioned in Inc. Magazine, and we did a pretty complicated iOS app for them, and we had, you know, these single moms from Florida calling us up, wanting us to partner in building uh, <laughs> something kind of similar and you know that that stuff just wastes time. So the 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 faster that I can say, you know what, we're not the best, or we couldn't help you the way you want us to help you. But like like you mentioned, Eric, here are some people that could be able to help you. You know that that's just a, a very sound strategy. It's it's it helps both sides. It helps you, and you know you're you're cutting this off sooner than later, and it helps them because you you're probably going to genuinely point them in the right direction or at least give them some guidance and like, you know, what, what you want is unrealistic, you know, think more about what you're doing and then maybe come back to us or, you know, start again. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do. It's like, if it's an availability problem, like they want me to work on something and I'm you know already booked or whatever, sometimes I'll refer them to another developer. I mean, if they don't have the budget either to pay my rates or just the budget for what they're asking for, I would tell them that. I'd be like, you know, either you need to find a more inexpensive developer because I actually get quite a bit of international leads. Um, so I'll say, like, you know, maybe maybe find a more in- inexpensive developer or someone who's just starting out. Um, or it could even be that you're asking for, you know, $50,000 with a code, but you're only willing to pay 10000 And so you're going to need to probably adjust your scope. And sometimes it's like they they just they don't have the budget they don't know what they're really wanting and in that case i might try to give them an alternative like okay you know you're asking for youtube here but you don't have the money the experience any of the stuff to build that and so why don't you use this open source solution that gets you 80 percent of the way there and adapt whatever you're trying to do to that and you know you'll save yourself some money save yourself some time and so almost every lead that I kind of decline, I try to give them an option to at least continue their search. And so I've, I know that a lot of the leads where I email them like that, they almost always say, you know, thanks for that. Or maybe they'll even follow up with me saying, hey, I found another developer. You know, 
thanks for referring me to that site or, you know, this and that. And so it's, I always try to end on a good note because I've had people who come to me, couldn't afford me or couldn't get in to my availability and then come back six months later and they actually turn into a client. And so you kind of, you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to kind of shoot people away. No, absolutely. I've actually had one, um, one person I was talking with out of California who just the money didn't work out right. She frankly couldn't afford us. And then a few months later, she sends us one of our biggest to this date contracts as a referral, which when you think about it, we, I basically turned somebody away, but I did it in such a way that I was providing value to her. Like you mentioned, you know, you could, you could say there's off the shelf software that you need. WordPress is all you need or, you know, whatever else. And they will, um, that'll leave good karma with them. And when they do, like I said, they, they network with, with peers. So they might be talking to somebody at a cocktail party and that person mentions that they need some custom software developed and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I know this guy and you get a referral from them, even though they actually never ended up doing business with you. And that, that is such a powerful thing, I think. Yeah. And I mean, it also depends. Like I've seen people where, you know, they work at ABC Corp and it's not a good fit there, but then they move on and they're at, you know, DEF incorporated nonprofit, whatever now, and they have the budget there. And because they remember that really good experience with you, they can bring that relationship back, but they're now at a different place. They might have the budget, they might have, you know, all whatever they were actually missing in the first case. And so, you know, if you can kind of stay in contact with that, and that kind of goes back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier of content marketing, like if they might not be a good fit for you now, you might be able to keep, keep them on your newsletter or say, hey, you know, check out my blog or whatever. And that might help you kind of keep in touch with them and help you actually follow up with them for when they are ready and a good fit for you. Right. So let's talk next about if I, um, if I qualify somebody and it looks like they'll work well with me, what's the next step? I can talk a little bit about what I've done. And that, the next step is usually what I call a scoping meeting, which is, you know, do a brain dump of everything that you want. Let's talk about it. Let's hash out some rough ballpark, uh, you know, timeframes. How many, how many man months of development are we talking about or design? Um, and get all that on the table. So we can at least just kind of hear them out, hear a little more about, about, about their project and really kind of get them further down that funnel. So from there, we can pull in, you know, some, some serious resources and actually converting them from being a, you know, a lead to a, uh, to a client. Yeah. And I actually have something similar. I call it my new client consultation system. And it's, it's basically, you know, if it looks like a good fit or they, you know, did all the, the, the questions that I need and it, it feels like this might work, I schedule either a 30 or 60 minute phone call with them and we'll talk through with them, maybe, you know, reiterate some of the questions, maybe dig in a little bit. Um, I try to get a good idea of the scope, not, not some, probably not as far as you, like not as, you know, deep into the months, but I try to figure out like, what's their overarching goal of this project, you know, any major deadlines, all that stuff. And it's basically to kind of see like the social dynamics, like, could I work with this person? And I'm almost always try to do this with the project owner, which in some cases it's the business owner. Some cases it's like the CTO or CIO. Sometimes it's a CEO, but you know, as high level as I can get. And 
mostly talk about the business side, like how is this project going to affect the business that we're working here. And I'm basically seeing like, okay, are we compatible? Could we work together? And if we are, then... So if we are, then I might try to get them to commit to like, I'm, I'll get a proposal of kind of what we talked about today and I'll send it to you. And if it kind of feels like there might be a good fit, but they're not quite ready, that's kind of what I'll put them into kind of like a follow-up system to kind of check back and say, hey, we talked last week about this project, you know, did you clear up these kind of pending questions on your side? And so the whole point of the call is like, this is my second stage of my filtering. And the point of it is to either say this this person's not going to be a good fit and kind of refer them off, like I said earlier, or send them to a proposal or send them into like a follow-up system. And the point of the follow-up system is basically to get them to a proposal later. Yeah, I've actually, I found that just like with project development or project execution, communication is everything. Beforehand, it's also everything. I've I've literally had people work with us because... We responded, even if it was a simple, I got your inquiry, I'll get back to you tomorrow morning, you know, this is, and, I, and we respond maybe 10, 15 minutes after we get that initial email. That is far superior to a lot of the uh, companies or freelancers out there who might take days to even get back to a, to a new lead. And likewise, like you mentioned with the follow-uping, you know, f- setting them up to be, you know, to remind yourself to contact them in a week or a month or however long, the fact is a lot of people aren't going to be actively ready to start a project. So I use a tool called followup.cc, which lets me kind of BCC this dynamic email address where I can uh, remind myself, you know, one month from now, follow up with them, see if they're any closer to making a decision, and uh, go from there. Because, you know, building that relationship and and Getting, uh, getting them to realize that you're not just there for the moment, that you're, you're, you've, you've got a system in place that you realize that not everyone is ready to move day one and they might need some time or they might need, ex- I mean, the bigger the company, the more, the slower they're going to be. So knowing how to work with that and knowing how to fit that into kind of the grand scheme, it, it, it's a, it's an art. I mean, it really is. And it, it does take a lot of practice. But yeah, yeah, and it takes a lot of patience. I think patience is the big factor. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. So I think, um, I mean, from there, my next step is usually getting into an estimate. And I think project es- estimation is a show unto itself, or at least <laughs> multiple shows unto itself. But I think, you know, to kind of dovetail back to what you were saying about how a lot of your clients come back. One thing that I would I would end with because we're running out of time is when you're when you complete a project, don't just let them go and that be it. Just like you have a follow up schedule between the initial qualification or the contact and when they might end up working with you, it's very it's a good idea. I mean, honestly, reaching out to somebody six months after you do a project for them and, and saying how are things working out, you know, go that goes so far. I mean, you never know how impacting that can be for a client. And that could reap, like, like in a, you know, in Eric's case, either repeat business or referral business. And, you know, the fact is uh, having a network of very strong advocates who are not only referral machines, but also there for testimonials, 
it's bad it's bad form just to hit people up a year after you work for them because a potential new client wants to meet with some former clients of yours. If you haven't spoken to them between, you know, during that year, you just shouldn't reach out to them and and expect them to get on a call with this this lead of yours. Keep the communication going, keep the conversation active, take a genuine interest in their business and and how the results are of the work that you uh, produced for them. And that'll, that'll go a long way. Okay, so do you have a resource for this week? Yeah, so my resource actually kind of ties into, I think, uh, next week's conversation. But today on my weekly freelancing mailing list, I uh, sent out a, or I, I partnered up with Obi Fernandez, the, the founder of HashRocket, a Rails consultancy in Florida. And he put together... He basically took the took the contracts, his his master services agreement, his statement of work, and his retainer agreement, and made them available for sale. So you know he paid a lot of money for a lawyer to initially put these together. They've been used on many many projects, including my own. Since uh, I think I bought his contracts sometime last May. And um, anyway, this morning we I did, we did a promotion to my list, and we took uh, $50 off the price of these contracts, which the price alone is half an hour of a lawyer's time. So you know, considering I spent uh, well over $10,000 on my contract and statement of work template, it's a very good deal. So if you're in need of a contract to use with your clients or to use you know, as statement of work templates, or you're unsure about your current contract, if you did what I did initially and that was to kind of write your own and, and play lawyer. I think it's a very good idea. You know, if you have a great contract, good for you. But if you don't and you're unsure, I would definitely look into something like this because it's vetted. And the last thing you want is to be, get caught up in a, you know, a stupid technicality that ends up being a lawsuit. Yeah. And especially for the price, like it's, it's worth it. I, I paid, I paid a group of lawyers to drop mine, I think this was before Obi had his for sale, and it follows kind of the idea that he has with the master services agreement and then a statement of work, and it's been great for me. I mean, it's the way mine works is the big contract the each client signs once, and then for repeat contracts, it's or repeat projects with that client, it's like a one or two page uh, statement of work, and so it's actually very very simple once they get past the here's the rules of how we're going to work together. And I mean, I, I know one client, I think we've gone through like six different statements of works, just, you know, new project after new project after new project. So, and it, it's, I'm from what I understand about Obi's, because I know a couple of people that bought it, he, his mirrors that kind of design. It's made to be upfront. It's kind of a bear because of all the legalese, but then it gets easy to get repeat clients with it. Well, he also has a lot of uh, annotations that point out exactly what this, you know, <laughs> obscure phrase means and whether that applies to your business. So again, it's it's a very it's a very good, you know, $150 deal that gives you three solid contracts that you can still bring to your attorney and get them to modify it for your specific business, but it's gonna save money in the long run because a lot of I mean frankly, most of us do pretty much the same thing. Uh, and there's really no need to kind of start from scratch with a very pricey attorney to get these contracts uh, built for us. Exactly. I mean, mine I know, because I even told the attorney, like, it's a template off the shelf with a couple clauses 
for me specifically for like open source or ownership and that sort of thing. And so it's, you know, starting from a good base is, it's going to save you so much money in the long run. Right. And I do have one second uh, resource um, before we move on to you. And uh, that is, there's a conference called IndieConf in Raleigh that's on the 17th of November. And if you're in that area, I happen to live three hours from Raleigh, but it's a conference dedicated to freelancing. So definitely an overlap with the, with the podcast, and it's pretty inexpensive. It's, I think it's $99. It's a full-day event. Uh, disclaimer, I am speaking. And it, from what I've seen of the sessions, uh, they're bringing in uh, you know, designers, developers, uh, an attorney, a marketing guy. They're just different people who are going to be giving what looks to be like pretty good talks dedicated to independent professionals. So if you're in the area or, or can get to Raleigh um, on the 17th, I would definitely recommend it. And if you are there, come say hi. Okay. And I actually have two resources uh, for this week. First one is a newsletter called Freelancing Weekly. Jeff Schoolcraft's a friend of mine. He puts it on. And basically, I guess throughout the week, he's collecting a bunch of links and blog posts about freelancing or freelance topics and it ends up every week he sends out an email that has it all and so there's a few other ones that I've used for you know specifically Ruby, Rails and JavaScript stuff but I really like the ideas of these because it saves me a lot of time of reading and filtering through news and blog posts and stuff like that and so you know Jeff puts on Freelancing Weekly gets me a lot of good business topics and it comes once a week, so I don't have to really worry about it every other day. And so we'll have a link in the show notes to actually go there. And then my second pick, just because I mentioned him today, is Pipeline Deals, um, PipelineDeals.com. Basically, it's kind of a it's a CRM system, but it's actually pretty easy. It's I found it to be the simplest for if you just have one person or maybe two people in your company. Imported all my data, kind of figured out how I want to set stuff up, and then was up and running in a few hours and I've I heavily use I think they call it deals yeah I heavily use the deals section because that's how I organized you know here's some projects coming in here's what what state they're in in my pipeline and I think that you can do some stuff with tasks to kind of do like what you were doing with the follow-up CC to kind of remind you to do do things like a template of okay three days after you talk to them give them a send them an email you know two weeks after that maybe try to get them on the phone and see if there's any new questions they have, that sort of idea. I didn't set up a lot of the stuff in here just because I got got my data in, started actually following up with leads and closed on one, and that's going to be enough leads for me for the rest of the year. So it's kind of a, a good thing of I didn't have to get everything set up, but they have some great features. And if you're kind of looking around for a CRM, don't know what to use, you know, I think they have a free trial. Try it out. See if that works for you. Because, I mean, like we said before, CRMs and a lot of other systems, a lot of the tools are very specific to how you work. And I think you just got to try a bunch of them and find what works best for you at the present time. Right. No, I would, I completely agree with that. All right. So action steps. Do we want to talk a bit about encouraging people to, you know, you and I both have a kind of a boilerplate checklist. Mine is actually usually an email response or a templated email that I send out to inquiries, but do we want to maybe recommend that people, you know, look, reflect on their own business and put together a, uh, you know, a checklist of things that they ask, ask a potential new client, um, just to qualify them and to, to kind of, you know, bump up their 
professional factor, I guess, by having a systematic icebreaker, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good thing because you can build the rest of the process as you go, but I found if you forget some critical questions or maybe you don't a- you don't ask a question right and you get an answer that isn't exactly what you're expecting or you're not asking any questions at all and just kind of jump through and try to get the project started, like I found every time that happened to me, something goes wrong with the project. You know, there's you know assumptions that are are made up front by each person that aren't actually true and i i think having the very basic like you know six or seven questions of these are what i need to know for this project and you can do it in email or you could do it over the phone like i do sometimes i I think having a checklist is actually a great action thing awesome great uh so next week to follow up with my resource i think we're going to try to have Obi Fernandez on the podcast. Uh, we don't know what we'll ask him about yet, but it'll likely be more conversational and maybe just talk about kind of what he went through building Hash Rocket, uh, you know, from the ground up. Do you have anything to add, Eric? No, I mean, I think that's it. I guess maybe if you have questions for Obi, maybe email email us or you know put it in a comment and we can try to ask him that way. Or I guess Twitter too would work. Yeah, let us know. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but if you have any. You know, our our listenership is is grown enough that if you have any questions, uh, let us know, and we will bounce it off of Obi or any upcoming guests. I think that wraps up this uh, this episode, and we will see you again in a week. Yeah, take care.